Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Avoid legal snags by telling people they're being recorded. <laughs> it's the first time that popped up. Um, what about legal snags, like yeah. ripping off another radio game show? Don't know what you're talking about. No. Um, Hello and welcome to Punching Chat, the podcast formerly known as the Mallover Podcast, who used to give you all the uh, rugby action from the week with... Wow, fuck that, didn't I? Used to give you all the news, <laughs> views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action or with a West Country accent. I'm not editing that, by the way. You can find us on Twitter. We are at Mallover Podcast. We are Mallover Podcast on uh, Facebook and you can find us on all half decent podcatchers uh we're back with another episode of punching chat this week with uh the handsome non-vet uh the nicest man in podcasting and special guest back for his second punching chat appearance after that terrible defend uh defend the undefendable appearance last time uh from the egg chasers the roby dungeon jb hello gents gents i just want to say i threw it away i was i was basically in the clear all i need to do is tap it in and I would have won, but no, I messed it up. But not tonight. Not tonight. I'm here to win. One thing. <laughs> win. You're here to win, you say? Hit absolutely. <laughs> That's a great start. Um, fantastic. Right, well, without further ado, we haven't even started the game and JB's lost some points. Uh, Adam, why not kick us off, mate? Okay, hello, everybody. Um, well, easy start, a tap-in. You know, don't get complacent in this. Don't get complacent in this game, especially when you're trying to say words, which seems to be a problem for me of late. Um, this should be a simple question, a rugby one. What is the best try of all time? And JB, see if you can get yourself back to zero at least. Fantastic. Right. Okay. Uh, so I don't know what you three are going to choose, but I'm guessing one of them's going to be dull, one of them's going to be boring, and the other one's going to be fairly tepid. And the thing is, I don't understand <laughs> what the point is in this question. I think you're all going to answer it on a very linear basis, which is disappointing. 
Now, before I go ahead and answer what the best try ever scored was, I'm going to set the scene. And of course, like most great tries, it's the AJ Bell. It was a Friday night. <laughs> and it was lashing down sideways, side, sideways rain. And it was the mighty bath against the even more mighty sale. I can't believe there was a try in that game. <laughs> I think I find it was probably the best try of all time. Uh, it was 6-3. Rodri McConaughey, or Rory McConaughey, was darting, darting down the wing, looking, looking to finish. Who scored the try? Does anyone know? Definitely not. Oh, it's not going to be someone no like uh, no. Ross Batty or something like that, is it? The answer is no one scored the try. No score, scores were try. Uh, no tries were scored. And the reason this is the best try ever is because it makes all other tries great. It makes all other games great. It's like the great playmaker that never gets never gets recognised for putting other people in in into space. So my answer is the best try ever scored is actually the non the non try in the six three sale victory over Bath. Because it makes all tries better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was being, I was trying to be so funny with there was never a try in a Bath Sale game on a Friday night in the last year rain, and there actually wasn't. There wasn't. There wasn't. There wasn't. <laughs> Greatest game of all time. <laughs> Excellent. All right, um, Phil. Yeah, that was neither dull, boring, nor tepid, but equally, it didn't answer the question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Equally, I've, I've never been accused of being complacent either. So, um, yeah, for me, it's it might not be technically the greatest try, but actually what tries are about is excitement. They're about the feeling that they, that they stir up in you. They're about hope. They're about just loving the game of rugby. No, no other game has the same kind of feeling that you get with a try. Um, so I'm going for the, for the predictable. So probably the tepid in JB's list of options um i'm taking you to the 2003 rugby world cup final england versus australia not the australia try which was a half decent crossfield kick and somebody who's six foot four out jumped somebody who's five foot six um taking you to the 38th minute england have a line out overthrown richard hill doesn't quite get hold of the ball dawson ships it out to to greenwood who takes it up the the middle and uh, does Thanks a decent up, job of it Takes it up the middle. Um, and then Dawson straight to Delalio, who turns some pace and spots an inside pass. Two things that he's never been accused of before in his career. Inside to Johnny Wilkinson. Lovely ball outside. Jason Robinson, Billy Wiz in the corner. And all of a sudden, everything is right with the world again. Going to halftime, feeling great about rugby. And what a game, what a try. It's got everything, everything about the game of rugby that we love. It's not one that anyone will ever forget, is it? All right, uh, Ben. <clears throat> well, um, JB kind of went for the seasoning that improves all tries, but I think we need to go for one with a, a bit more meat to it. So uh, specifically, I've gone to a try that was about three years in the making, um, and it's uh, Will Greenwood's versus Wales at the 2003 World Cup. And um, the reason I think it's, uh, it's probably one of the best tries of all time, because it was is basically the reason that they went to all the trouble to get Jason Robinson into the team because they were in trouble against Wales. They weren't playing very well. And then um, one loose kick and he just set off, did what he did, burned past two pairs of defenders. Um, very few people would be able to even think about doing what he did. And then 
the pass out to Greenwood on the wing. It did look like it was a little bit early, but Greenwood managed to get it down. Very good finisher. Always scored against Wales. And um, that's it. Greatest try of all time. There we go. And Mr. Milson. Um, it's not any of those, even the, the try that doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> the greatest try of all time scored by one of the greatest uh, Japanese men of all time, uh, Khan Hesketh, uh, against South Africa in the World Cup in 2015. Um, you know, Michael Leach scored in that game. Goromaru scored as well. But that try in the 80th minute to beat South Africa while they were down to 14 men will go down in, in living memory as one of the best ever, one of the most memorable World Cup moments, one of the biggest shocks and underdog stories. And uh, and Ben was in the crowd to witness it, of what he would thought was a a mundane and, you know, run-of-the-mill rugby match leading into it. It's a... It's interesting me. Interest. I can't, what is wrong with me? And words. I, I, I might give up immediately. It's interesting. I'm glad we that, get to be <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take points off myself here. Um, you've all kind of gone for memorable games in their own way or memorable moments. And like technically the tries themselves aren't going to be considered the greatest of all time. You know, you could... Yeah, the famous ones like the Barbarians one in the 1970s. Let me or... stop. Let me stop you there. The Barbarians try is rubbish. It was scored against doctors and dentists and accountants. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, that's... Ma- managing to survive 15 clotheslines does not make it a good try. <laughs> 15 clotheslines from accountants are nothing. I, I could run through 20. <laughs> you, and you are an accountant of sorts, JB, aren't you? I'm actually an IFA, but yes. <laughs> okay, second question, and it's all about second. Who's your favourite person or team in sport who never did better than coming second? And the nicest man in podcasting, you can start. This is where you all talk at once. Like I was going to say, oh, that's me. Um, well, this is maybe a bit of an obvious answer, but I've gone for the um, the Netherlands in Football World Cups. Um, lost three finals I think it is you've got the likes of Cruyff, Hullet, Van Basten, Rijkaard Bergkamp, you know some of the greatest players to watch of all time Um, lost both finals 74 and 78 to the Germans and the Argentinians which is probably the worst pair to lose to as well Um, my favourite story is that they all had alpha their shirt numbers alphabetically in 1974. So the player beginning with A was one. And um, Johan Cruyff just insisted on wearing 14. I was watching the 1978 World Cup final highlights recently and the Dutch goalkeepers wearing number eight. And it, it just didn't sit right at all. <laughs> just absolutely bonkers. I do like I do like the, the randomness of that, though, being alphabeti- alphabetized. In their numbering, it's niche. You imagine if they did that in rugby, like it's which has resisted squad numbers for so long, um, and that you suddenly had, you know, someone at fly half wearing number six, or just you'd you'd all have a meltdown. Are there any? There can't be any any rules against that, can there? I think there is. I'm pretty Mm, there is. But they made less to get rid of the letters, didn't they? Yeah, and that's what you know. That's where I was going with that, but. You know, surely, you know, if during a game 
you had a, a six that could play ten, for instance, you know those well-known uh, positional <laughs> transitions. <clears throat> why? Why would they have to line up from one through to fifteen and Nuki, not just in a Nuki Seconds had a prop <clears throat> that could play ten for years. <laughs> they certainly did, and he used to wear number twenty-one because it was the only shirt that fit uh, without <laughs> without without wearing number one to five, which were already taken by other fat blokes. Is this you, Russ? It might well be me, yeah. <laughs> All right, why don't you go next? Um, I will go next, and I will bring to your attention uh, the Buffalo Bills. Now, in the early 90s, the Buffalo Bills uh, attained an unprecedented accomplishment by getting themselves to four straight Super Bowls, uh, a feat that no other team has ever accomplished to this day. Uh, however... They did not win a single one of them. Um, they lost to the Giants. They lost to the Redskins and twice, uh, twice to Dallas. And yeah, it's um, it's quite unprecedented. Well, it's obviously unprecedented that they lost four in a row and uh, they haven't been anywhere near since. <laughs> yeah, never won a Super Bowl. And they were an- annihilated in three of those four. But the fourth included a field goal in the dying seconds to win it which went wide right it wasn't even that far out um kickers easy isn't it anybody could do it easy i i maintain that anybody could kick a, a ball through posts and i and, will one day make it and yet we haven't seen any footage of you doing it two years on or whatever it is Piece of piss. okay housewives favorite so I see your four losing finals and I give you six losing finals. The okay. people's champion, world amateur champion, won two of the three majors in his sport but couldn't win the world championship. That's right, it's, it's the whirlwind, it's Mr. Jimmy White. 21 seasons, ranking top 16. As I say, six world championship finals, never won a single one. Lost in the final frame decider against Stephen Hendry in 94. And to make it even worse, he was—he wasn't the first person to record a maximum break in the world championship. He was the second person. <laughs> nice. He one of those finals. He was fourteen-eight in front, and then lost ten frames on the bounce. Uh, I don't know how you you come back. Well, he didn't come back from that, did he? <laughs> you don't. No, you don't. Um, and I was genuinely gutted at almost all of them. Love Jimmy White. Um, but it was one of those. It was never, never going to happen. OK, uh, JB. Right. Well, I went with rugby and I initially thought of only one team, which is Gloucester. But, oh, no. Who oh dare? <laughs> I thought so. If you look at Gloucester, they are every part of the premiership winning team. They've got the crowds. The fan base is brilliant. They have the money. They spend it and they've also been at the sharp end so they went to the premiership final they lost they lost to Leicester Tiger with two big wingers but what did they do they went and bought two big wingers themselves in Carl Price and Vianicolo who were useless they tried a director of rugby and coaching staff and then they got rid of two fly hogs to bring in Danny Cipriani they've tried everything and all they ever do is lose finals they're always potentially one season away from greatness they thought no that's not going to work, is it? Because you can come closer to winning and not win than second. You definitely can. And I think at <laughs> some points, Saracens will be the team who came closest to winning 
and never did because they'll have their title stripped. But then I thought, no, because this has happened. The Melbourne Storm, the, Mel- the Melbourne Storm had two titles taken away from them. Not only did they come close, they had their hands on the cup. They drank the beer from the actual prize itself and then taken away. So in terms of who has come closest, but, all- but is always second, Melbourne, Melbourne Storm. And then looking at it, it's not just this. It's runners-up too. Four runners-up titles were taken away and two titles. Melbourne Storm for me, please. Excellent answers, all of you. Okay, platinum jiffy bag question time. And we covered sports greatest baldies last week. So this time, who is sports greatest hairy man or woman? You know, might might be a lady. Um, If your answer matches mine, there'll be nine bonus points on offer. And of course, none of you will. That goes without saying. Russ, start us off. Adam, that answer that I mentioned to you pre uh, pre recording is that available? Or has anybody taken that? The answer that you mentioned. To yeah, the, the the tennis player for the greatest. Oh yeah, man. well, I, I I think it's probably available. Okay, so I'm going to take that. I I initially uh, submitted uh, a guy with an amazing lid. I will, however, talking about hairy people in general, I've not seen many hairier people than 1990s tennis supremo Pete Sampras. Ooh. He had some, like the most amount of body hair, even on television. You know, like on television, you tend not to see too much body hair. He he had body hair upon body hair, almost in a, in a primate level. And, and, you know, I was going to say, I was going to pick Carlos Valderrama, but we've had like sporting lids previously, so we'll, we'll leave that alone. Um, but like... On television, having never met him in the flesh, he looks like one of the hairiest people I've ever seen. Uh, probably hairier than Phil, which is a feat. I, I reckon he's got the hairiest back you can imagine. Oh, yeah, 100%. Tell. Yeah, yeah. Okay, and Ben, let's have yours next. Well, <clears throat> I thought you get a lot of players in sport that are hairy, but it's, it looks like they've done it by accident. They just haven't shaved or they've been out chopping down trees or something for a little while. I, I thought I'd go for someone who, who who did it with a bit more panache. So I'm going to go for a man who, who looked like he probably started shaving in primary school, um, but carried it off like no other. And I'm going with Andrea Perlo. Yes. Nice. Um, very stylish man on and off the pitch. Um, ne- probably never seen a football player that looked like he had so much time. And... Um, Probably a hit with the ladies as well. He was, I, I bet, I, oh, I put Perlo in the same sort of thing as Samson. You know, as the more hair he got, the stronger and better he became. Mm. And then I, I bet if you were to cut all his hair off and shave his beard, he would just be a really shit footballer. So, so him and Zabi Alonso sort of head to head in midfield in a sort of yeah. Like the, beard like, off. Unlike the opposite of Zinedine Zidane. Like they're they're <laughs> Perlo and Zidane are like nemesis. Like you're like unbreakable with Bruce Willis and, and the other guy, um Samuel L. Jackson. It's like that with with Zidane and, and Perlo and, and the follically challenged. <laughs> okay. JB, sports hairiest man. Uh, well, that wasn't actually what the question said, was it? So I've I've read this. Great oh uh, greatest hairy man or woman. Right, okay, so there's two ways to read this, isn't there? Which is, which player with hair did I most enjoy, or which player's hair did I most enjoy? <laughs> <laughs> but subtle difference, I think you all agree. 
which le- which led me to only one conclusion: Andy Good. Now it might not be the hair, <laughs> but uh... so much entertainment. As the seasons change, so, so did his hair. And like the great Jesus himself, once he thought it was dead, it it then arose. He now has a full head of hair again. It's like the season. Um, it's like the seasons change all over again. So for me, and uh, Andy Good is the player's hair that I've most enjoyed. <laughs> Fair enough. I love where you went with that. Okay, and Phil, finally. So. When you think stereotypically about hairy men, you think about somebody who's who's quite manly, rugged, kind of alpha male, testosterone driven. And that's that's the route that I've gone down. And there are two that, that spring to mind. There's Sebastian Chabal and there's Martin Castro Giovanni. Proper wolf-like looks, long, flowing, unkempt hair. You meet them down a dark alleyway and you think you're being attacked by a wild animal. Just proper manly men. But also you stick them on a rugby pitch and they are solid, tough as anything. Castro absolutely dominated the scrums when he was playing for, for a pretty shit Italy side. Chabal could just dominate anybody on the opposition's team. But I had to go for one. And uh, there's that party in Vegas with Zlatan. So Castro wins it for me for uh, taking a, a self-imposed leave of absence to go and enjoy some... Uh, some nice company in a pool party. Um, you've you've actually mentioned the platinum jiffy bag answer there, Phil. Um, it wasn't the one you sent to me, um, which you talked about as well. Um, but yeah, the French caveman himself, Sebastian Chabal, um, does get you the nine points. Here they are. Wow, that's amazing. Wow, first it's finally first happened. Ever, isn't it? <laughs> Well, last week you all came up with a platinum jiffy bag answer, so it didn't really count. Um, but yeah, well done. How about that? And that puts you into the lead. You've got 47 points and JB and Russ on 35 and Ben adrift on 31. Next question from AKA WD40 on Twitter. Again, he's been, he's gotten the game twice in a row. Um, in a hypothetical family-on-family family Royal Rumble situation, which sporting family would you put your money on to come out on top? And let's go straight back to you, Phil. So I've, I've actually figured if you're going to go family-on-family family and you want, to know, uh, you want to know who's going to come out on top, you've got to name both families. You can't just name one. And I'm going to cross-code this as well. Um, so the first family that I'm going to start with is the Burgess family. So obviously, obviously we've got Sam Burgess, rugby league player, um, but he has a multitude of brothers. He's got too many that I could actually name. He could come up with half of a rugby league side himself. But these are proper northern rugby league players. They're, it's not about it's not about how hard can you hit. It's about how hard a hit can you take and still come out laughing at the end of it. I mean, just to typify that, Sam Burgess uh, playing in the NRL final, breaks his jaw uh, at halftime, breaks his cheekbone, goes in. Oh, so tell us about the injury, Sam. Tell us about the injury at halftime to report. And he went, yeah, it's it's pretty much fucked. Comes back out (laughs) after, after the second half plays on for the rest of the match. The guy is absolute nails and the rest of his brothers are exactly the same. 
Now, who are you going to put up against them? You've got the people that can take the knocks. Let's bring the people who can give the knocks as well. So you've got the Burgess family up against the Tuolangi family. All, all nine of them, including the girl, could they could <laughs> knock out pretty much everybody. Um, you would not want to take on a single one of the Tuolangi brothers or sisters because you know they would all come at you in one foul swoop. Eight of them landing punches on you from all kinds of angles, shoulders, forearms, any part of the body they can hit you with, they would absolutely love it. So, yeah, Burgesses against the Tuolangis, and it would turn into a death match, not just a Royal Rumble. <laughs> Very good. You've thought, you've thought about that quite a lot, which is impressive and disturbing at the same time. All right, uh, JB. And unusual. <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. Poor old Phil. Poor, poor Phil. Fell into the trap just like I knew he would. The Burgess. <laughs> the Burgess. So, the Burgesses are, are all fine and good, and on the face of it, they do look very, very hard. Uh, but actually, the hardest, the hardest family, and the team that would win comfortably in a Royal Rumble, it wouldn't even come close. It is a rugby league family. It's not the Farrells. It's the Fords. Because let's face it, you can be as hard as you like, but you can't play in the Royal Rumble if Mike Ford takes away your contract. So, <laughs> <laughs> these little we. They are, they are, they are tiny, tiny men in the land in, in in the land of giants. If you want to talk about hard men, try being George Ford size and getting smashed every week by absolute giants while still way, but uh, and still working your magic. If you want to talk about hard men? Talk about Joe Ford, who's got none of the skills, none of the talent, and still does the same job and willingly does it. If I thought I was going to go onto a pitch and perform like Joe Ford against these massive men, I wouldn't do it. No chance. Between those three, they could come up with some incredible scheme. It wouldn't necessarily be fighting, but it'd be something. Whether it be, I don't know, a trap door in, in um, a trap door in, in in the ring, knuckle dusters, something. The Fords would win. They find a way to win at everything. They are a phenomenal sports family. Give me the Fords. Okay. All right, Russ. Um, I thought about this a lot. Obviously, there's the Hart family. In uh, and that's not Man City, ex Man City goalkeeper Joe Hart. You got Brett the Hitman Hart, Jim the Anvil Ned Hart, and uh, Owen Hart, RIP, who obviously would have been past masters at the Royal Rumble. I've decided to go down the boxing route and not the Mayweathers, um, not the Spinxes, but the Fury family. And it's not even Tyson Fury or John Fury or Huey Fury. Um, the one that scares me the most is Paris. Have you seen, did you see that sort of semi-documentary that Tyson Fury did on ITV a few a few months ago leading up to the Deontay Wilder fight? She is one scary individual. And uh, as all of the, the stuff the lineal heavyweight champion of the world has ever done, he is very much scared of his wife. <laughs> I like that we call it semi-documentary. Um Okay, Ben. Um, so, thanks, Phil, for taking both my choices, even though you needed to pick one. Um, so, <laughs> he did do that. So, so I've had to think about it a little bit more, um, and I've gone for the wars. Should be uh, quick. Oh, what is it good for? <laughs> so, so here you've got Steve, very much the uh, leader of the pack. You've got Mark, or as he was known, Afghanistan, the Forgotten War. Uh, <laughs> then you've got Dean, who uh, is very much the Eric to Steve's Ivanka. Um, 
And uh, and finally, you've got Steve's son, Austin, who is also an Australia under-19 player. Um, and I think, really, this all comes down to Steve, who was basically, as well as a hard man, a, a, an evil genius. And um, although I think Mark could probably uh, carve you up quite elegantly with a sword, it would all come to, down to uh, Steve's ambush, which would probably start with um, Dean being sent out as part of... Uh, Operation Certain Death to lure any uh, sort of attacking family into um, into a trap that would pretty much uh, look like a cross between Home Alone and Saving Private Ryan. <laughs> Steve War could be he could hold some military secrets and be captured by Ernst Stavro Blofeld's henchmen and be tortured for fifty years in a disgusting hole of a prison, and he wouldn't crack, would he? No, like he'd, ne- he'd never give it up, no matter what you did to him. Um, Mate, you're uh, holding that blowtorch wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's well. We've talked about him on on this show before, but yeah, as as tough as they come, absolutely. Okay, uh, with statues being very much very much on the agenda at the moment, um, who in sport deserves to be given a statue, and where should it go? Um, and Russ, let's go to you. Uh, I would award a statue to uh, a certain James Michael Anderson, England's uh, highest ever wicket taker. Um, but the statue isn't for something that you would probably think. I would like the statue to appear outside Trent Bridge for his spectacular 81 versus <laughs> India uh, in 2016. Um, all he is so revered for his, um, for his bowling and his uh, you know, nearly 600 test wickets. And, you know, that's all well and good. But when he's, uh, when he's hitting Pankaj, reverse sweeping Pankaj and, uh, and hitting him back over his head, that was one of the finest test innings I think I've ever witnessed. And uh, listening to the to the TMS commentary at that time, it was it was a thing of beauty. So uh, outside Trent Bridge, it was James Anderson's statue flailing a bat around. That was on the flattest road I have ever seen a, cr- a cricket match yeah. played in this country. Anyway, it was the game. If it could have gone for 10 days and you wouldn't have had a result. It was a game where Alistair Cook, Alistair Sir Cook. Alistair Cook got his yeah. test wicket um, yeah. because they were messing about because there just wasn't ever going to be a result. Um, it's oh, That's one of the reasons I love cricket so much is you can have a sort of subplot like that where Jimmy Anderson ends up with 80-odd in a test match, um, which he'd never get on a legitimate pitch. But yeah, love that. Ben? Um so uh, it will be Brian Lima cutting Derek Hugard in half and located right outside Alison Pollock, Pollock's front door. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and JB. Well, I hate to get all serious about this, but obviously the statue issue is serious. And there's Black Lives Matter riots, and sorry, not riots, protests, which have been ruined by riots. And there are some very serious issues around B B A M E folk. So I think it's only right that if we're going to put up a statue, it's got to be of someone who has suffered historic discrimination. It's not something which I'm very comfortable saying, but um, historic discrimination. And happens mostly of white people, entitled white people with, in, with incredible privilege, who decided to take away his job based solely 
on the opinions and beliefs that he had. So throw me up a statue of Israel Folau, please. <laughs> Should, can I give that points? Can, can I? Can I? Yes. Yeah, yes. Course, um, <laughs> I'd love to know where it goes, though. Where? <laughs> make multiple statues. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, and Phil. Um, so yeah, actually what's important is we're, we're picking a statue of somebody who the whole nation can get behind. The whole nation can be proud of. There's, there's never going to be any controversy around him. Ultimately, nobody's going to go. And I, and I put this on Twitter that good people sometimes do bad things and bad people sometimes do good things. This was a good person who did good things and kept on doing good things. I'm not going to give it him a statue for his test wicket that he got. <laughs> it's for leading the line for the England cricket team for an absolute fortune of runs. Um, he's the nicest man in cricket, the most dedicated man in cricket, absolute god of the sport, and kept England far higher up the rankings than than they should have been given the rest of the team he's played with. Um, and that is Sir Alistair Cook. And obviously, the logical place to to put it is the place Trent where Bridge, he's from, Jimmy Statue, right? Uh, no, Gloucester. Gloucester, where he comes from. <laughs> oh, the math is getting tough on this one, right? <laughs> You're still way in the lead on 78. Russ and Ben both on 59. JB, you said you're going to win. You've, you're a couple of points adrift of those two, but not far away. Um, so, next up, a question dedicated to Ben. Yeah, we had one dedicated to Russ last week. This one's a bit nicer um, as the nicest man in podcasting. But who is the nicest man in sports? And obviously, Ben, you can go first. Well, I, th- I thought judging by the, uh, the crowd that I'm playing to here, that it might be a risk to say Kevin Peterson. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even even in, with that, yeah. Just in general, yeah. Um, so um, I've gone with a sort of genuine answer here, and I've, I've gone with Jermaine Defoe. Um, not, Ooh, he, yes. he, he runs a foundation in St. Lucia, but um, more than that, he, uh, he met a young fan who was um, very poorly, uh, Bradley Lowry, and um, they seem to have what seemed to be a very genuine friendship and um, spent quite a lot of time together. So uh, I think a lot of sportsmen might have met him but not kept in touch and and what he did probably um brightened the young young fella's life so um so i think that was a, a very good thing that defoe did there he, he also certainly kept a lot of female fans happy as well from from what the rumors say <laughs> <laughs> he that that was you could just tell that he was he went so far beyond what was expected of him with that yeah um, just because he wanted to and he felt that that well that was it he just wanted to and it was also it was also genuine okay <laughs> and maybe maybe with the ladies as well phil let's get to you uh, look, i can't really follow that because um I have to somebody who's done something nice for a kid that's dying i've just gone with johnny wilkinson because he seems like a really nice chap and not many people have got bad words to say about him Committed to his sport, tries hard, proper family man, keeps himself to himself. Nice bloke. I'd like to be his friend. Done. <laughs> Do have you asked him? No. I haven't got his him. number. Give it up. Um, Give it up, Phil. You're never going to meet him. 
<laughs> All right, Russ. Um, I thought about this long and hard as well. Well, maybe not as long as hard as some of the others, but uh, there's lots and lots of people, lots and lots of sportsmen that do lots of exceptional stuff for charity, and you know, quite rightly so. They earn they earn a lot of money, and you know, it's really nice of them to give back. They don't have to, um, but it but it's a good thing to do. So I went down the route of a nice person in sport who offered uh, something to his peers. Let me introduce you to ex-Manchester City captain and Republic of Ireland defender Richard Dunn. Richard Dunn had a a 20-year-ish Premier League career, over which time he amassed the equal amount of uh, most red cards, so giving his opponents an advantage. But more than that, he holds the record for the most amount of Premier League own goals. So not only did he get sent off the most, he also scored the most own goals with 10, therefore giving his opponents an advantage as well. So, you know, as far as nice people in sport go, Richard Dunn gave most of his opponents a a nice little head start. Nice. Like what you did with that. Okay, JB. Well, I've gone on a little bit of a winding road here, as you may well have come to expect by now. Initially thought, of course, it would be my my Twitter my Twitter sparring partner, friend of the show, my my personal Tokyo drinking drinking. <laughs> I knew it was coming. <laughs> my, a little bit neat if you're not if, uh, if if you're not on Twitter. So I thought maybe it's a relative thing. Maybe it's a relative to. So the nicest man relative to everything everything to what he does is of course James Haskell. As busy as he is. <laughs> You'll never meet a guy who will eventually very, very nice man, very kind with his time. And I thought, no, it's not a relative thing. It's not a niche thing. It's an absolute thing. So the nicest man, not just in rugby, but in sport by far, and you'd never know it because he's so nice, he just keeps his head below the parapet, is AJ McGinty. If you met AJ McGinty, you would assume that he worked in Tesco or was a baker. Like, you wouldn't assume that he was an, in, an internationally recognised uh, fly half who plays in the Premiership and is literally, statistically, the best goal kicker in, in the competition. Yet he is. And he is the most magnanimous and nicest man in the in sport. AJ McGinty. I, I genuinely thought you were going to really turn it around and say Stephen Jones. Oh. I, mean, <laughs> I have got a theory on that, too. Which is... No, I, no I'll, I'll save it. I'll save it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, any other business time? Now, let's face it, it's it's only to find out who's going to join Phil in the final. Um, Phil could just fart for a minute on air and he you'd still have enough points, I think. Um, so... <laughs> ben, why don't you start? <laughs> well, I did originally toy with going um, with the proposals for the pedestrianisation of uh, Falmouth Town Centre. Um, <laughs> but I have noticed the memes people are back, lads. Um, they're back in force. Um, so, um, MAs. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's noticed, but there's been some uh, protests and, and things about statues going on. Um, but the memes people very much went in on D-Day. Um, you know, how could this disrespect be shown on D-Day? as if no one died on the 7th of June or the 8th of June. It was just D-Day that you had to show respect. Um, and, you know, I do think that basically what is going to help our understanding of all these situations is, is some kind of out-of-context 
Orwell quote or maybe something Churchill said when he was tanked up. I think that's really what we all need to share on Facebook. Okay. Um, JB, any other business? Uh, yeah, and I'm sorry to bring it back to the thing which I talk about the most, which is rugby. But <laughs> I just talk about the lunacy of the rumours going around that the RFU are considering summer rugby, not just for the professional game, but, of course, for the club game too. And it's not just me that said this. Also, sorry, don't wait for that. Right, sorry. Um, yeah, it's not just me, but obviously uh, some journalists in the, in, in the Times have also mooted this. And it's a disaster. It's a disaster for everyone involved. Can you imagine doing pre in February? Can you imagine trying to get a team together when half, when half the lads are on a stag do or, in a, um, or in, in a wedding or with kids on holiday somewhere? It's not going to happen. It shouldn't happen. And also, who wants to be drinking in the summer with, you, with your mates when you can be drinking in the winter with your mates in a nice, in a nice co co cozy clubhouse? So, go summer rugby. No, no summer rugby at all, but especially for amateurs. The fact that, especially for amateurs, it's hard enough running. Well, not that I've done that many intense pre seasons, but running in trainers on what is basically a concrete pitch that doesn't get any watering. Yeah. Like the the premier, like Premiership and, and, and professional grounds, they all get nicely watered. It wouldn't matter to them at what time of the year they played because the pitch would pretty much be the, the same unless unless you're at the wreck. But playing on the, the top pitch at the sports centre at Nuki Hornets, which is arguably drier than the Sahara in the middle of July, and trying to play an, uh, a game of rugby on it, I don't think I don't think anybody would be able to cope with that. It would be horrific. Oh, there's 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 like a an insistence on pushing everything back and postponing everything rather than just accepting we've we've lost time in the calendar. Let's just let's just move on. And what took the biscuit was what I saw today. And I wasn't sure if it was a headline from the day to day or the match report or something, but it was due to knock on effect of COVID-19 and events being postponed. The 2022 Commonwealth Games has been moved back by a day. Really? Yeah. One day? Why? I, because of what I just said. Huh. Like, seriously, I'm not, I'm not even joking. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's something to do with the World Championships are then are being put back into 2022 and to give the athletes another day's rest after that or something. Anyway, it, I just look, I thought it was just taking a piss. Well, but... as Web said, it presumably means something to someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Somebody important's obviously justified a big salary to make that decision. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. If, if you've just won a gold at the World Championships, you could pretty much walk straight off the track and then win the gold at the Commonwealth anyway. Yeah. <laughs> just by walking that distance yeah, yeah. even if it's a marathon that you've won the yeah. medal for yeah all right russ any other business um i i'm str i struggle for any other business at the moment because i don't want to talk about uh, the coronavirus that everybody seems to have forgotten about um with current media narratives and i don't want to talk about blm and, and all of that sort of stuff because i think you know not that it's not important but it gets done to death i want to talk about something that i saw earlier today uh, on twitter um the magazine today's golfer had a picture of piers morgan swinging a golf club and it said if you could play golf with one celebrity who would it be now, there's a guy called Liam Bennett who put, uh, I'd pick the real Donald Trump. He was great in Home Alone 2. 
Uh, within minutes, I mean, great is probably a stretch. He was he was adequate for it for his uh, for his for his ability. Um, but within minutes of, of Liam Bennett sending this tweet, Donald Trump and uh, this may be fabricated. I don't know, but the he's, fa- he's faked it. I've seen the, about he's faked that. The normal Donald it. Trump goes and says about wanting to play golf with him and his family at Turnbury. Or at Trump International, and he said, uh, "Thanks so much, Jim, but I think you're a despicable human being. And if I could play with golf, uh, I wouldn't want to play with you. How about resigning?" And then Donald Trump, you're blocked. So it could all be fake, but it made me laugh anyway. I've I've seen about six similar screenshotted stories like that in 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 a week. So they're all copying each other. That was quite good. Yeah, and also the guy's an idiot. I mean, you don't want to be drinking and going out um, golfing with Donald Trump. You want to be doing it with Sergio Berlusconi? He's, he's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> at least, at least he might bring some entertainment with him. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, that might just be enough um, with that little quip. Phil, any other business? So I don't really have anything that's worth wasting your time with. So I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> wow. He's already that comfortably in the final that he could just forego. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, Phil's just I'm passing come, it around at the back here, isn't he, for the last five minutes? Hash, I'm going to come second at best. So. Hashtag furlough life. Hashtag uh, redundancy. Phil, Phil, listen, try, yeah, listen try redundancy. To this. Listen to this. That's fine. I don't mind coming third. It makes a change from second. Um, I've taken three points off there and you're still in the final. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you you're not leading jb now has the most points on 93 you've got 84 russ 81 and ben 80 um all very tight but yes defend the undefendable and yeah you know how this works by now 22 seconds to defend the statement that i'm going to give you in fact coming second phil weirdly with these rules gives you the choice of whether to again go first or second in defend the undefendable well, if I came second, then yeah, I'd quite like to go first. Okay, you can you can start then, and <laughs> you can start with the statue of Edward Colston should be replaced with one of Stuart Barnes. Well, clearly it should be because what does Edward Colston represent? What he represents is people in high power taking advantage of people with no power, people with money taking advantage of people with no money. And that's exactly what Stuart Barnes does through his associations with Saracens and and with Nigel Ray. It's all about abusing those less fortunate than us. And all we're doing is we're replacing it with a modern day equivalent. Have you got got Stuart Barnes and Stephen Jones mixed up there? <laughs> I am right, son. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> Either way, you did pretty well with it, regardless of fact. <laughs> All right, JB. Opinion. Yeah, it still works. JB, uh, Premier League football matches should be removed from free to air TV because poor people don't deserve to watch it. Well, it's not so much that poor people don't deserve to, don't deserve. To, Sorry, let's start again. It's not so much that poor people don't deserve to watch it. They probably don't want to watch it because it's not particularly good. That said, I am, I, I, I am all for taking, taking it away. Those footballers work bloody hard and they need, uh, and they need to get paid. And if those guys are not going to pay those, fo- um, uh, those footballers, why should you just time, Time's up. You just about turned that around. Uh, uh, it was a bad start. But don't, well, I don't know. don't know nope. if you've... I don't think you've turned it around enough. <gasps> um, Philip. 
Philip, you are going to win this week's punching chat. Controversial. It means he's got to come wow. back. <laughs> Am I am I the Gloucester rugby of punching? Chat? <laughs> <laughs> You're the Phil Farm vet of guests. The uh, nearly the nearly man of punching chat. Oh, oh, bro. Next time, JB. Next time. We only started defending it with about four seconds left. If you got if you got in a bit earlier, I think you might have stolen that. But there we go. Oh, absolute pleasure. Adam, thank you once again for hosting. JB, thank you for coming and uh, and taking part again. It's always a pleasure. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it, other than the uh, the final result again. It's a taking part that counts. Loved it's it really, really annoyed. <laughs> it's a up and it's a farce, but I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will... This is Punching Chat 11. Um, there's talk of some rugby coming at some point. I mean, frankly, it, this you know nobody cares about more over podcast rugby opinion. It's all about punching chat. So uh, we'll be back next week with probably some more. Uh, maybe the lensman if he's not working on super bikes or uh, cricket or tennis, if any of that comes back. And uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, next week. So go well. Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.